turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians there. And uh, we have been walking through 1 Corinthians and uh, you'll see there on your, on your handout a title. I'm not very good at titles. Um, I, I do put thought into them and I, I want them to speak to the message and you see they're building or destroying me or others and those are choices we have to make in our worship. Well, um, uh, the last couple evenings just as I pray over the message and kind of go through it, um, uh, I thought about a new title and if I was, to, if I was redoing this, I would, I would entitle this Use Only As Directed. Use Only As Directed. And you see that label on things, and, and I think as we, we get going here, it'll make sense. But what we're, we're only going to look at verses 1 through 25 here today, and I'll read them in a moment. But what, what we're looking at here is, is, a, is, again, somewhat a tough section of Scripture, if you will, only because there, there's much disagreement over what it says, what it doesn't say, what it endorses, what it doesn't. Uh, my heart, as always, is to be as honest with the text as possible. I don't, I, I'm not here to tell you what one position says over another position. I'm here to tell you what the Word of God says. I'm not here to tell you what a denomination says or doesn't say. I'm here to tell you what the Word of God says. In my honest heart, the hardest I can study. And, and I want to say on the outset... This is not a hill that I'm willing to die on as far as fellowship and, and um, just really dying on that hill. You know, we, you, you, we can be cessationists or we can be no cessationists. We can believe that some of these gifts have ceased. We cannot believe that some of these things have ceased. That does not determine whether I'm going to heaven or not. I'm going to heaven through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And, and, and I want to say that on the outside. If I'm wrong, if you're wrong about chapter 14, it, it doesn't impact the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross in that sense. I'm going to heaven because I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and we may disagree on some of these uh, points of scriptures, but we're saved through the blood of Jesus alone, trusting Jesus' blood alone to atone for our sin and, and that Christ died where, where I deserve to die, that He died where you deserve to die. And, and, and my, my possible misguided interpretation of this text and, and teaching this text doesn't undo that. It, it doesn't mean that we don't seek truth. I, I, I promise you that I'm seeking truth to the best of my ability, that I'm, I'm spending a lot of time in these passages trying to make sure I tell you uh, as close as possible to what they actually say. We need to get understanding on the issue, these issues. We need to be biblical on these issues. We don't just say theology doesn't matter. Theology absolutely matters. It's just that we're finite, we're, we're finite men and women trying to understand an infinite God and His Word, and sometimes we may differ on some points. But if you're not talking about the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus and some, some of the salvific issues and things like that, as long as you're not diminishing that, we can walk hand in hand. We may disagree on some things, but hey, you talk about the, the permanence of salvation, we're going to have a hard time walking hand in hand. You talk about how salvation is, is, is received, we're going to have a hard time. But some of these other things, if, 
If you go to ballroom dance classes and somebody else doesn't, guess what? We can walk hand in hand. You may consume some things that others don't. We can walk hand in hand. We're going to differ. We're going to differ on worship styles. We're going to differ on clothes. We're going to differ on other things. We're going to differ. But there's got to be unity in the, in the midst of these diversities, and, and, and we've got to pursue truth. I'm not saying we don't pursue truth. We absolutely pursue truth. And Satan wants to take things like this and divide. He wants to disrupt unity. He wants to divide us over things that we ought not to be divided over, that we ought to be able to walk hand in hand with. And, and, and uh, you know, as long as we're pursuing truth, if we're pursuing truth, and, and this is just, again, one of the, one of the many issues that, that he tries to disrupt. And so uh, I'm going to try to give us the underlying truth to this whole passage. What is Paul saying? What's the unifying central truth of this passage? And, and uh, uh, there are some, some ways, some things that Paul does to, to paint that for us and to, ex- to really uh, help illustrate that. And so 1 Corinthians 14, I hope I will be clear and, and helpful as we uh, pursue truth here. Paul writes, pursue love yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. Remember last week we looked at 1 Corinthians 13 and Paul showed that love was the greatest gift, that love was permanent, that love endured, that eventually all of these other gifts at the return of Christ, these will go away, they'll be unnecessary, but love will continue forever. It's permanent. He says, but especially pursue spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian. And the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. 
I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet be evil, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers I will speak to this people, and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues, and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? But if all prophecy in an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. So what in the world is Paul talking about? What in the world? And the underlying truth that I want us to see here today, and you see it on your handout, is that the focus and the giving of spiritual gifts is on the edification of the body of Christ. That's the focus. When, when, and, and that's where, as I was thinking the last couple nights, and, and even about worship and the service and that, and, and it just hit me uh, late, late one night. I was just praying through it and thinking. I saw, you know what? That's why we're worshiping on the backside, and I think it'll make sense today. But when, you, when I thought about this, when you have a product, there, there will inevitably be a label on that product. And it'll say something like this. It'll say, use only as directed. The point is this. That product has a purpose. Use it for what it was meant to be used for. That's basically what they're saying. Use only as directed. Why? It's because when you take things out of the context that they were meant to be used for, and you put them in an inappropriate context, when you take a product and you use it for something it was not... Just like yesterday, uh, Bradley... um, was given this thing, and it's like an underwater underwater skateboard. And the first thing it says, not to be used as flotation device. Well, it floats, and and he can hang on it and float. You know what they're saying? That's That's not what it was made for. It wasn't what it was made for. Use only as directed. And, and they know, they know through experience, they know through time, guess what we like to do? We like to take things that were meant for this, and we try them over here. Or we use them. Every man in here has probably used a tool that was meant for this, and he's tried it. Well, I think that'll work over here, and guess what? It causes destruction sometimes. It may get the job done, but there's usually casualties. Sometimes there's blood. You know, and, and, and guess it wasn't meant for that. I, I, I looked up, I, I looked up, um, I googled just some crazy warning labels just to see. Listen, listen to this. Listen to some just crazy warning labels that are out there. Use only as directed. This is why they have to waste the time to say that. A washing machine. Okay, washing machine. Inside the door of go home, look at it. Inside the door of the washing machine, it will read, Do not put people in this washing machine. You know somebody's kids were filthy, and to save time, they threw their kid in that washing machine on the tumble cycle. Or I don't know, is that the tumble cycle, or is that the dryer? 
Yeah, you clear, I, you, I'm a good husband. I tell you what, I help Karen a lot. You put that thing on the spin cycle or whatever it is, toss that kid around, he got out, and you're like, hey, it worked, honey, get the other one in here. Somebody tried that. Or somebody thought about it at least. Do not put kids in here. Somebody thought it'd be cool. Hey, I'm going to discipline that joker. I'm going to put him in the washing machine and see what happens. Somebody tried it. It, it. Would it work? It might. But it wasn't intended to work that way. Another product called Scrubbles. Scrubbles, that's that thing that you scrub the tile in your, in your shower. In your shower. It's used for cleaning your shower tiles and that. It says on there not to be used for personal hygiene. Now, you know somebody saw the thing it did to their tile, scrub all those bubbles coming out, and they started in the shower. They started rubbing it all over, thinking it was going to... Somebody tried that. Use only as directed. Would it work? Maybe. Not intended to be that way. I, I, I saw a label on a, on a shirt, a shirt, and it was specifying how it was to be cared for and laundered, and it said on there, Do not iron while being worn. Somebody buttoned up all these, you've all, every guy's been there where you take the time to button all 58 buttons that are on this shirt and then you realize the thing is wrinkled and I'm sitting here trying, I'll tell about myself, I'm trying to figure out how do I get this shirt off without unbuttoning all the buttons? How do I do that? So I guarantee you somebody took that iron and just started doing like this to get the job done because they were in a hurry. I guarantee you. Now they had this spray stuff where you could just stand there and be sprayed and but somebody ironed the shirt while they were wearing it. They probably sued the manufacturer of the shirt and won, and that's probably where the label came from. Use only as directed. I love this one. I love this one. Uh, uh, on the label of a toilet bowl cleaner for the inside of the toilet bowl, it says, it is safe to use, this is a quote on the label, it is safe to use around pets and children, although it is recommended that neither drink from the toilet. It is okay to use around pets and children. It is recommended that neither drink from the toilet. I, somebody was thirsty, drank from the toilet, got sick, and sued that. But, I mean, use only as intended. You know, here, here's the point. We take, we take things that were meant for one purpose, and we end up trying them and using them for purposes that they were not intended. And that's really, I, I say all of that, Number one, just because it's fun to laugh sometimes, but we, the Corinthian church has done this with tongues. They've taken something from outside the church and they've brought it inside the church and it had no business being in the church. In that sense, uninterpreted tongues. And that's what Paul says. They're not using their gifts. Beyond that, they're not using their gifts as directed. They're using their gifts for personal edification. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Use your gifts to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. They were not meant to edify me. God has gifted every single one of us in here with individual gifts, and the point was to edify the body. It was to edify the body. That's what we saw in, in chapters 12 and 13. They're, they're out of bounds. The Corinthians are out of bounds in their deployment and also the goal of the gifts. And Paul is trying to help them see this. They're abusing the gifts. They're trying to use them for things that God did not intend for them to be used for. And their assembly, when they assembled as a church, just like we are today, their assembly was chaotic. Could you imagine if all of us tried to stand up and just shout out things? Or, or if people were just standing up and in that culture, 
chaotic tongues and all this the babbling and all this stuff that that was typical in a lot of their pagan religions. And, and so it, they were just as typical. If I were to sum up the book, the Corinthians had a habit, again, of bringing things outside the church that were meant to stay outside the church. They were bringing them inside the church. And what was it doing? It was destroying the function and the purpose of the church. And, and the goal, Paul makes it very clear, the goal and the function of everything that we do here is edification. Edification. To, to use church, or to use tongues, or to use any other, any other thing for another purpose is dangerous at best, Paul says. Whatever doesn't help us toward edification, whatever doesn't grow us, whatever doesn't conform us to the likeness of Christ, Paul is essentially saying, get rid of it. Stop it. The reason we gather is to grow in our likeness of Christ. The reason we gather is so that we will be built up in Christ, so then we can scatter to evangelize effectively, so we can scatter and live effectively for the Lord. We gather to be built up. That's the focus of our body. The, the point Paul is saying is, is to voluntarily lay down anything that doesn't edify the body. That's, that's the point. If it hinders, lay it down. If it hinders our ability to be different and distinct from the world, lay it down. If it hinders our ability to evangelize, lay it down. And we've seen that. All throughout this book, we've seen that. And the focus here is on the body, the assembled body of Christ, the assembled group of believers that we call the church. What, what they're doing here, what we're doing here today, is to be purposeful and it is to be distinct. How we worship is to be distinct. It is all about Christ. We have gathered to worship Christ, to celebrate what He's doing in our lives, to encourage others to celebrate what He's doing. To, you look at Hebrews 10 and it says, Let us not forsake the assembling together. Why? Why do we gather? Because to encourage, to spur one another on. We, we have the body of Christ so that on, on Monday night at 9.45, when the hails get word that their grandson Seth, something's not right, and they say, I think he's... I think he's seven years old. When they say your seven-year-old grandson has cancer, they had a huge network of people that they immediately sent out an email to and said, pray. Immediately my telephone rang. Chris, here's what's going on. And we had a sweet time of prayer. That's just one picture, but that it was for edification. But we're here today so we can go out into our neighborhoods, we can go out into our schools, so we can go out into our workplaces and be effective missionaries for Christ. And, and, and what we do here is mainly predominantly for believers. If a non-believer comes into your assembly, and we'll get that, they ought to see something through the way that we worship and the spirit and the fervor in which we worship, the way that we love each other, the way that we hold high God's word, the way that we proclaim one message, Jesus Christ crucified. They ought to set, there ought to be something so distinct that they're drawn to want to be a part. That's what Paul is saying. And, and we are to be distinct. Our worship is to be distinct. This place cannot look like the world. It can't look like a Moose Lodge convention or just any other meeting. And I'm not picking on them. Just That just came to mind. That's not on my notes, and I get in trouble and offend people when I get off my notes. But it can't look. It's not just here to talk about sports. We're not here to talk about how many picks you've gotten right in your bracket. 
We're here to talk about Jesus Christ. And again, the problem of Corinth, of that church, was they brought things inside the church that were meant to remain outside the church. They were using things not as they were intended to be used. And it was hindering their edification. Pagan religions, again, were filled with tongues, ecstatic speech, emotionalism that communicated no message. No message. That's what Paul's saying. It doesn't communicate a message. What's the purpose? If it doesn't communicate a message, it's not edifying. Forget about it. And God had granted the true gift, the ability for them to speak in ways to be understood. And they were abusing it. They were distorting it. They were counterfeiting it. And the world was infiltrating the church, and that was not a good thing. For example, we've seen throughout, and I won't go through them, but chapter 1 through 4, again, human philosophies about uh, good, well-spoke, and use lots of words, and flowery speech, and, and the boasting and all that. Paul says, get that stuff out of here. Chapter 3, they had elevated humans. They were worshiping other men. He says, get that out of here. Apollos, me, we're nothing. We're nothing. Christ is everything. Get it out of here. Chapter 5 and 6, gross immorality. And in the spirit of being okay with it, the spirit of acceptance, they were, they were boasting and arrogant. He says, get it out of here. This is the church. It goes on and on. Lay, on and on. Every chapter he's dealing with something, they just bring it in. That's the church. They had misplaced priorities. They had misplaced their function and their purpose. They were making it more about them than about the Lord. And, and in many ways, if we're not careful, this will be us too. They were out of bounds in so many areas, and the gifts were just one of those areas. We've seen it. They took a good thing, and they used it for a purpose that it was not intended for, and it caused harm. And, and, and it's interesting. Again, this is a, a Corinthian problem. A Corinthian problem. They had brought things outside. And here's why I say that. Paul uses, interesting fact, Paul uses the word glossa, in that, the form of that word, Greek word glossa, for tongues, some 21 times in chapters 12 through 14 in 1 Corinthians. He only uses that word three times outside of this letter. And all three times we're quoting the Old Testament. This is a Corinthian problem. Corinthian problem. It, it, had, no, it, had, it, had, no, it had nothing to offer. The, it, it, the tongues had nothing to the gatherings. They offered nothing to their gatherings without interpretation. That's what Paul is saying. You come in here just jibber-jabbering. They offer nothing without interpretation. All of Paul's letters are written to churches, instructing churches... He found it necessary to speak this many more times about it. There's something to be said there. This was a Corinthian problem. This was a Corinthian abuse. If tongues were, if tongues were so important to this gathering, shame on Paul. Why did he mention it again? If it was so important to our maturity and our growth, how come in Ephesians 4 he didn't mention it one time when he talks about bringing people to maturity? Not one time. Not one time. And Paul's point is why? Because they don't edify. Uninterpreted tongues bring no edification. You look at Acts 2, the men spoke in languages, what? The people understood them. They understood them. 
It communicated a message. And Paul gives some very important instructions here that I want to hit on with regarding tongues, with regarding gifts even, that, that, that he mentions here in chapter 14 that I think will help further bring home this point. And the first one is this. Love is the context in which all the other gifts operate. No matter what it is, love is the context. And, and he starts out in chapter 14. He's finishing, really, what he just said in chapter 13. Pursue love. Pursue love. Love is the fact. Again, what we saw last week, without love, it doesn't matter what we do. Love is the context that everything else flows, and, and he's reminding them that. Edification, love. We ought to be in love with one another. We ought to love one another. Uh, and when the hails called me, it, it, I say it destroyed my evening. Not, that's not their fault, only because I have a five and a nine-year-old. Their grandchild is seven. It was essentially, what if Bradley or Sarah Grace had cancer? Big deal. I was hurting for them. I was hurting for their son and daughter-in-law. Why? Because we're the body. They're a part of me. And Paul says, pursue. Interesting that he would say, pursue love. Love in this body is not something that's going to happen on accident. We're not going to stumble into loving one another. We're going to have to pursue it. We're going to have to go after it. We're going to have to make very strong efforts to make sure that that spirit, that that distinguishing characteristic is, is cultivated here because love can be very elusive. We don't find love by wishful thinking or, or just a half heart. we got to pursue it. It, it, it. We're not just going to stumble into it. If we're going to find it operating in our lives and governing our lives, we've got to pursue love. We've got to make love our top pursuit. And that ought to be a distinguishing mark about this body. When a non-believer sees or watches, ought, it ought to be clear that they love each other. And that's what Paul is saying. Pursue love. And yet in the context, everything else flows from that one objective. But see, all of the problems flow when that objective is not there. See, where love is overflowing, obedience to Christ and His Word and edification is seen overflowing. You love God, and guess what? You begin to love the things that God loves. That's what he's saying. You begin to think in terms of the gospel. You begin to think in terms of what glorifies God. You begin to think in terms of what would God wants you to do. You start to see the world as God would see it. You love people as God would love them when love is overflowing. But, but when love for God is missing, or, or when love goes, when it goes missing, and, and we replace God with ourselves, we replace God with the worship of other things, other agendas, other things that profit when we're, all, when we're interested in what works instead of what's biblical. There are a lot of good things that we can do here, but when we replace the worship and the sound teaching of Jesus Christ with other things, guess what? Love is going to go awry. And other things are going to creep in and they're going to take precedence. And, and you, you, that's why, again, what is the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord, Matthew 22, 36, and 37. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The other is like it. Love your neighbors yourself. You love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Guess what the overflow of that's going to be? You're going to start to love one another. And that's what Paul is saying. Pursue love. 
That's the context. But not only that, he makes it clear in verses 1 through 5, prophecy is superior to tongues in the church because tongues do not edify the church. Prophecy is superior because tongues do not edify. And he gets right to the point. Again, it's edification. The issue at hand here is edification. And, and, and you say, what is edification? Edification is the process for which the church is being built up to maturity so that it functions. Think of it as maturity. Edify means to build up. I, 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 a, a funny story. I taught a class. This is, again, not my notes, so I get in trouble. But I taught a class at, at Idlewild, and a, a married couples class, and Every now and then we would have icebreaker questions. And uh, the icebreaker question that morning was, um, uh, name an animal, name the animal that reminds you of your spouse. Name the animal that reminds you of your spouse. You know, there's lots of cool things. Well, one guy stood up and said, bear. His wife looked at him and she said, edify, stupid. And we were, and I still, every time I think about edification, I think about that. Of all the animals that he could name that reminded him of his spouse, he said, and he went on to explain, he was trying to get out of it, but what he did was make it worse, actually. You know, at some point, guys, it's better just to cut your losses, admit it. You know, like you get asked some questions and you hesitate. It don't matter what you say after that. You're done. But, but edify. And Paul, Paul could be saying the same thing. Edify, stupid. Build each other up. The, the goal of what we do here is to, build a, to bring about and to build up maturity in Christ because maturity has tremendous benefits. You know, that little baby running around is real cute, but eventually you want to stop changing his diaper. Eventually you want him or her to feed themselves. Maturity. And, and look with me for a second just to see very clearly how many times Paul says this. Verse 3, edification. Look at me, just circle them every time you see them. Verse 4, prophecy edifies the church. Verse 5, greater is the one who prophesies the one who speaks in tongues so that he may receive edifying. Verse 6, what will it profit you? That's the same word. We've seen it in chapter 6. It's, it's, it's what will it bring about? What's the use? What's the good? That's the same idea. Look at, look at um, verse 9. So also, unless you utter by the same tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? If you're speaking into the air, he's saying there is no profit. There is no edification. Verse 12. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Verse 17, verse 19, verse 26. The goal of what we do here is edification. It's so that we built up and be mature in Christ. That's the whole point. And, and it's interesting, this chapter and, and even 12 and 13 are really used by many people to kind of go willy-nilly and unleash the gifts. But reality is, Paul is leashing the gifts in this chapter. He's reining them in. He's not unleashing them, he's leashing them. And, and so oftentimes, these chapters are used to just go do whatever we want. And he, that's not at all what Paul is doing. He's reining it in. Why? Because it wasn't edifying. They were not using as directed. And it wasn't profitable for the gospel. And that's the same thought. Chapter 6, verse 12. Chapter 8, verse 9. Chapter 8, verse 13. Chapter 9, chapter 10, Paul says, pursue what's profitable. 
He says in 8.13, if meat causes my brother to stumble, I'll never eat meat again. Why? Because it was destroying that for which Christ was built up. It wasn't edifying. Edifying. His theme throughout the letter. Look, look with me on your handout just so you see the difference. And really, Paul is contrasting here, really in 12, 13, and 14, prophecy and tongues. And, and he's contrasting them because the Corinthians, these were their, their favorite two. And look at the comparison with regards to prophecy. Verse 3, it speaks to men for others' good. Prophecy is others-minded. Guess what? Verse 2, tongues says it's for the speaker's own good. For the speaker's own good. Prophecy there in verses 2 and 5 can be understood. Tongues cannot be understood unless there's interpreter, Paul says. Verses, verses 3 and 4, it edifies the church. Verses 4, prophecy does. Verses 4, tongues only edifies the speaker. Chapter, verses 5, 19, he clearly says that prophecy is the greater gift. Tongues, the lesser gift. We saw that as well in chapter 12. And what he's saying is tongues, when uninterpreted, do nothing to achieve edification, and therefore they're worthless. When you're, when you're assembled, they're worthless. And prophecy is, is the greater gift and is to be pursued. And you say, what is prophecy? Prophecy means this. There are lots of definitions out there, but literally at its core, to simplify it, it means to speak forth truth. To speak forth truth. You see a kind of a, a quick idea here in verse 3, but one who prophecies speaks to men. And look at the fruit of prophecy. Edification, exhortation, consolation, speaking forth truth, all based upon God's word. But see, we don't do that without error. Do we err? Yeah, you look at chapter, uh, verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let others pass judgment. We'll talk about that next week, but we're not, just because you say it doesn't mean it's true. It's got to be biblical. And, and a side note to that, we'll get to this next week, but I, I hear this phrase all the time, and, and I, I, I'm, I, I just want to caution you. Caution you, because I, I think the Word of God cautions you. Be careful with the God told me language. God told me to do this. God told me to do that. God told me to do this. I, I get it. I think I know what you're trying to say, but, but all I'm saying is be careful, because you're not infallible. My, my, my tendency is to err. And you can go all the way back to Deuteronomy. You know what happened in the Old Testament when, when a prophet said something and it didn't come true? They were killed. Okay? So I'm glad God doesn't go there anyway, but I hear it all the time. And, and, and you know, if you come to me and say, Chris, God told me to do this, I got nothing to say to you. If God told you to do it, what am I? Who am I? I? I can tell you on the front end, I'm leery. Very leery. And I'm not saying God doesn't, but we got to be real, real careful. Because we make mistakes. We live by faith. That's why Paul says in, in verse 29, let two or three speak and let others pass judgment. Let me see here. Let me sift that through the word of God. Does what you just tell me line up with the word of God? If it does, okay. If it doesn't, guess who's wrong? I'm going to tell you right now, God didn't tell you to tell that. And my response to you is going to be, well, God told me to tell you that you're wrong. All I'm saying is be careful. 
Be careful. You know, I've heard some people say, oh, I have the gift of prophecy. No, you're just rude. You're just rude. Again, there's no, the context is still love. Love. And it's speaking forth truth. And Paul is saying, this is what we do every Sunday. Why do I get up here? Why do I study for hours and hours and hours and hours every week? Because I want to speak forth truth. What we need is truth to be built up in truth. Because God's word alone is what changes us. You look at Romans 8. You know, he says, everybody knows that all God works all things to the good for those who love him. But guess where that's leading? To conform us to the image of Christ. That's why we're being built up so that we look like Christ. Look, look at verse 20 here. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. We are to be mature with the things of Christ, yet immature with the things of this world. And my fear is oftentimes as Christians, that's reversed. We're very mature with the things of this world and very immature with regards to the things of the Bible. And it shows. Again, I mentioned it. Look with me at Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Paul says, and he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Listen to this, verse 13. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Look at, listen to the fruit of being mature. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of, of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. He goes on to say, we're to be built up, why? So that I can recognize what are lies, so that I can withstand the attacks of the enemy, so that I can understand 2 Corinthians 11, that Satan masquerades as an angel of light, and I can tell what the difference is. 1 John 4, test the spirits. Because there's liars out there. They're deceivers. We need to be mature. Look, look at Hebrews 10. I, I mentioned it, but look at Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And listen to this. This is why we meet. Let us consider how to stimulate one another. What? To love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some, but what? Encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Why do we gather to encourage? You look at Hebrews 5, it talks about, but having their senses trained. Why are we here? To train our senses. So that we can recognize right and wrong. That's the whole message of, of, of verses 1 through 19. Edification, being built up, being mature. Third, thirdly there, you see this. Prophecy is superior to tongues because tongues do not edify the believer. Tongues alone do not, without, with no interpretation, none. And, and here's what he says in verses 6 through 12. Our message must be clearly understood. Clearly understood. That, that's what he says in verses 6 through 12, and he gives three illustrations. He says, number one, if Barbara just got up here and 
my, my daughter can get on up here and just bang on some keys. We have a piano in our house. I'm blessed by that on a regular basis. She turns that bad boy on. It's noise. It's noise. If there's no tune, guess what? Barbara got up here. You recognize the tune. She starts putting these things together. You're singing words to that which has no words. Why? Because there's meaning. You know the words. That, that's what he says, a bugle. A bugle that doesn't produce a killer noise, guess what? It doesn't, call, it doesn't sound anybody for battle. When Jim Hampton is in Afghanistan and they sound that horn that says, you better take cover, if they don't know how to interpret, if they just chose some random noise that didn't make sense, the guys are looking around like, what does that mean? Even the bugle, he says, has to communicate a message. It has to be understood. And not only that, he says speech must be clear and understood to be useful. Some of us know people that, that, that maybe they mumble. You're like, what? What'd you say? I can't. What, what did you say? They're, what'd you, it has to be clear. That's what Paul is saying. Be clear. Our message has to be clear is what he's saying. And, and he says that again in verses 13 through 16. Without a clear message, he literally says you're, it's an act of futility. We're wasting our time. If no one knows what we're talking about, we're wasting our time. What's the point? We need a clear message. Verses 22 through 25, he says the same thing. Tongues are a sign not for those who believe, but to unbelievers. And he says, prophecy is for a sign not to believers, but those who believe. And in 23 through 25, he makes it clear. If the whole church is assembled together, and we're just making a bunch of noise that's unidentifiable and understandable, he says what? The non-believer just thinks we're a bunch of madmen. That we're crazy. And you can go to Acts 2. Tongues were a known language in that time for, that the non-believer could distinguish. Because it communicated a clear message. And, and, and we're, again, we're talking about our gatherings. What, private, things like that, different deal. But beyond that in our gatherings, if we're not careful... What Paul says is that tongues and our, and our gifts, the dangerous, when we don't use as indirected, they actually have an opposite effect on non-believers that they were supposed to have. If we're not careful here, if we're not doing what God has called us to do here, a non-believer who comes in here can actually be hardened to the gospel by seeing what goes on here. That's the tragedy. When, when, when we don't act biblically, when we don't do church, and we don't have the elements and have a clear message, the effect on the world is detrimental to our mission. That's what Paul says. He says, but he says, and all speak in tongues, and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say you're mad? But if all prophecy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he's convicted by all, he's called to account by all. And the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. Do you see the importance when we worship, when we study the Word, when we live together? The outside world ought to see us, and it ought to be obvious God is among them. They may not believe what we believe, or that, but God, they cannot argue. God is something's different. 
But look at the other side. He says the secrets of his heart. When we have a clear message about Christ and the gospel, guess what might happen by the grace of God? They may be convicted of their sin and repent and give their life to Christ. That's why we preach the gospel. If an unbeliever comes into our assembly, they ought to be confronted with the truth of God's word. They ought to be confronted with a group of people that love different, that live different, that care about one another, all because that's what God did for us. They ought to be confronted with that in a, in a loving way. In a loving way. If, if the, lo- the lost, if they don't see Jesus, if there's not a clear message of the cross that is heralded, they will remain lost in their sin and will reject the gospel as the product of a bunch of madmen. Crazies. And, and, and I can tell you, Things that you've seen on TV, and, and guess what? The news, they like to pick up these madmen, and that's what we begin to be known for. And the people who take it out of bounds and do it wrongly are what we begin to be known for. And, and the point is, we must be understandable in order to be effective. And he says, look at verse 18, If I, I wish you did, I wish you spoke in tongues, but in the church... I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others rather than 10,000. He says, I'll give you five that are understandable versus 10,000 that are not understandable. Why? Because it's pointless. And our purpose is to bring ourselves and also anyone else who comes in here into the presence of a holy God to be reconciled to God and receive the forgiveness of their sins. For us who have had that happen, we come here to worship the fact that that has already taken place. That, that's the message. And God's word is to be pursued, Paul says, through the proclamation and the teaching in the assembly. When we assemble, it is about God's word. It's not about our brackets. It's not about anything else. It's about God's word. And, and, and we could do, I, I thought about this, we could do a lot of things to draw a crowd. Daniel and I could do a lot of things just to get our emotions going, to look great. But we're not going there. We, we could come here and entertain you. We, we, could, we could be seeker sensitive, as the, that's the catchphrase nowadays. Or, 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 or we could just hope that maybe a church hopper would stop and hang out for a while. And, and hear me, we're going to give sound theological teaching in everything we do, down to the lyrics we sing, and we're going to trust God to use that to grow this church. We're going to trust God to to use our lives that are sold out to the gospel, that are changed because of the gospel, and let Him grow this church as we saw in chapters 3 and 4 of 1 Corinthians. That's how He'll grow this church. By men and women whose lives have been changed by the gospel, going out and living in their communities and schools and neighborhoods and all that, and that will be the aroma of Christ, the fragrance, but it will also be our words a clear presentation verbally of the gospel. Clear presentation. And and what we do, what I want to do every week is to bring us, and and, and Daniel does too, into the presence of a holy God and worship. And our message will be simple, and it will be this way forever. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. Life is found in Jesus Christ. Christ alone, that the whole world are sinners, and apart from repenting of sin, they will go to hell. And from preschool all the way up, 
from the lyrics of the songs we sing to the music we, I mean, to the, the classes we teach, all that stuff, one message, Jesus Christ. Great God, awesome God. And, and, and we as a people ought to worship God no matter what. Job said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. What? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Worship. And our love for God ought to be evident when somebody comes in this place. It ought to be evident and obvious. Those people love God. Just like Paul said, God is certainly among them. How we live, how we worship matters. So I ask ourselves a question. Is our gathering making a difference in lives? Would the world see a difference if they came in here? Would they see the difference? Would they see a people that they said, God is certainly in their midst? And I want to challenge us. Daniel and his team are going to, are going to make their way up here to lead us in worship. The reason why I, I chose, and this, this hit me even last night. That's the sanguine personality in me, and it, it drives my wife crazy, and, but it hit me last night. What, what if we worshiped after we read this? What if we were challenged by the Scripture to worship God in, a un, in an unashamed, just an, a, a way that we've never worshipped before? I challenge you to not care what people think, to not care what others may hear, but to think about this. We're here to worship God. And I, and I pray that God would feel like, would, would say, I was worshipped by Odessa today. Unashamed unabashed worship because of the great things that he's done. That, that somebody would come here and they may walk away with a lot of ideas, but one thing they could not argue is this. God is certainly in their midst, and I know their message, that Jesus Christ is the one and only way to heaven. And that's a group of people that are grateful that they're saved. They may not agree, but they can't argue that God is amongst us. So I challenge this, as this team prompts us, I challenge us to worship like we never have before.